0: This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. This
1: episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a better egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. This week on Meet and Three, we're talking organization. Not mise en plus or keeping your knives in a row, but labor organizing. If any restaurant worker is listening to this and is like, yes, I want something different, but I don't know where to start, first step they just need to do is to find one of us and get plugged in. As independent contractors, they can't directly tell people, you know, when or, or where to work, but by using sort of gamified nudges to push people, that is sort of how they um, move the workforce around. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from ATC. to Z. Um, I'm your host, Adon Sanchez, alongside my lovely mother.
3: Sarela Martinez.
2: And we are ecstatic to be inviting uh, someone that we uh, relate a lot to because he's a, a gentleman. He's a professor. His name is Victor Maciel Gonzalez. He's a professor of university at, at Wisconsin. Uh, his specialty is Latin American, Mexican, and Latinx histories and uh, history of gender and sexuality. So. Uh, Victor is an expert in all things from the border and how it relates to uh, the cultural aspects, culinarily, obviously, and all this beautiful region that, w- that that I hail from and my mom hails from. So we're really excited to have him here. Uh, he grew up in the Mexican border of El Paso, Texas, my hometown, uh, to immigrant parents. So we're excited to have him here to talk a little bit about this unbelievable cross-section of cultures that is the border. So welcome, Victor. We're excited to have you.
4: I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure. It's such a treat to be here with you guys. Well,
3: you know, I discovered Victor in a I was when I was writing about f- what the difference is with the people, the Mexican people who live on the border, and he explained to me that uh, that in during the revolution a lot of the Mexicans that had properties in Mexico moved to the border states and that that's, that's accounts for it. is that is that a good way of of describing it?
4: Sure. Yeah, uh, we had a, a massive influx of middle class and upper middle class people arriving during the revolution, especially when Villa was tearing up Chihuahua and Durango. Right. Uh, all of the all of the elites of the North ended up in El Paso. Just look at all the boarding schools, all the all of the um, cultural institutions they created, the social clubs they created, and also the you know, really interesting food in El Paso. Right. It's because it's very different. The moment you leave El Paso and you go into Texas, the food becomes very different, right?
3: And what happened then? Because there's not that much food in El Paso now.
4: <laughs> I think people are very cheap. They don't want to spend money on food. Yeah. Not even the
3: narcos that have moved there?
4: Uh, well, the narcos, the narcos take a couple of generations to clean up money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of really good food, but it's kind of hard to find. And I also think that the restaurants don't sell a lot of the food that's made still at home, mm-hmm. so I think I think there's like an El Paso cuisine. I was I think, for example, of the Lenten food, uh, the traditional Lenten food, that never even makes it to the menus. It never makes it to the menus. It never makes it to the cookbooks. So there's all of this religious holiday food. Uh, and food ways attached to them that you know many people don't know I was just just thinking about it before we started you know the many different kinds of 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 vegetables that are dipped in egg and deep fried and then served in some sort lampreados. of yeah lampreados, all the different lampeados yeah. that, that we have that, you know most people don't know my my rel- my anglo relatives come and you know serve stuff like that they're like ¿Qué es eso? you know what's that I'm like, well, uh, didn't your mother cook any food for the holidays?
3: <laughs> but anyway, you know, yesterday we were talking with Paula Lambert from the Mozzarella Cheese Company. And she <sighs> says that that the food in Dallas and in most of Texas, they will not accept any regional Mexican
4: food. Oh, yeah. They, they Yeah. They're not exposed to it. They don't know it. Whereas I think like El Paso, because of the large university and the large like. Chicano cultural interests by young people, people really crave, they wanna know more about regional food. And Juarez um, has changed a lot since my childhood. I was born in 1970, but we have had a lot of of migrants from places like Veracruz. And so, and people travel, a lot of these Mexican American kids travel uh, to the interior of Mexico and they wanna eat the food that they learn, right? You know, a lot of them are curious about uh, indigenous food. A lot of a lot of us are diabetic. And so people are trying to get back at traditional foods, thinking that's a better preparation for themselves. Um, So there's there's a lot of interest. You know, there's a place there run by women that used to work for uh, in the textile industry. They're seamstresses and they developed this place called Café Mayapán.
3: I've done a benefit there. Let's let I don't. Where do you eat when you go to El Paso? Well, no. I
2: mean, look, and I want—I want to hear from Victor as well. Obviously, I mean, when I go there, I do all the traditional stuff. I like to go to Kiki's uh, to to get my machaca. I think that's such a a particular thing that's made in, in in El Paso that's very unique to us. So I love doing that. I love getting my my burritos um, from L and J, um, and then I go to a little place. There's actually a little a little uh, kind of posada right next to the on Mesa. I think it's called Lucy's it's right next to the King oh, yeah Bay. yeah oh yeah Lucy's yeah uh-huh. and they do fantastic breakfast there and I crave mm-hmm. that Mexican breakfast I don't eat breakfast unless it's Mexican or I'm in El Paso because it just oh. we do breakfast the right way you know what I mean so those are some some highlights
4: a nice balance of vegetables and protein <laughs> yes exactly
3: <laughs> where do you eat when you go to El Paso
4: I tell you what, there's there's a particular genre of food that I can't get outside of El Paso that I like to eat. And that is what I am going to call summer cooking street food. Um, So, uh, you know, in El Paso, all of our houses had massive walls of adobe and you did not want to (laughs) cook in the evening. So all of us went out. Mm-hmm. And we had our favorite places to go out to, and we would go and he, there was there was a stand of ladies outside of this church, or there was a stand of of ladies outside of this place, right? So what I crave is um, uh, enchiladas montadas, you know, enchiladas with with sausage and potatoes and a fried egg on top, right? Um, so so like they're more like minor Zacatecas um, style enchiladas. I, I really crave uh, gorditas infladas, little, little round uh, corn that. stuffed with real simple picadillo, but the best thing, really refreshing salsas. And, you know, when we picked a place to go for tacos, we didn't just go because the meat was good. We went because the stuff that went in it was good. Well, you
3: know, my mom used to top it with a delicious slaw made with mint and an and, uh, and oil and cabbage. cabbage.
2: Cabbage, yeah.
3: It's just fantastic. And, but it's a lot of work to make those, you know, we also mentioned gorditas infladas in another program because in Veracruz they have another type of gordita inflada, which is uh, ah. like papadums, you know, they oh. really, but the ones in Juarez are, are not like that. Yeah.
4: No, they're very tiny. They're very tiny. Um, the The other place, the other thing that's really, really traditional to El Paso is shredded beef tacos, mm-hmm. and and they're open tacos, right? Uh, that you just fold the tortilla, you put the meat in it, fold it, fry it, and then what really makes them unique are the are the the really almost salads that go in there, right? That's what makes them really yummy, I think. Uh, there was one place we used to go to where they would make a, a salsa that had like a, like a V8 base with like some sort of umami, I forget what it was they use. And then it was really a salad. It was like fresh jalapenos, fresh lettuce, fresh tomatoes, mm. lots of different herbs, right? And and shredded, shredded um, carrots and shredded um, cucumber, right? Mm. Yeah, and this place, th- there were 50 people waiting for their tacos. Outside of a bakery in Juarez, you know, <laughs> yeah.
3: People there love to entertain by hiring somebody to go make gorditas at their home. Yeah, oh, yeah. My sister, my sister loved to do that. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. uh, mom. I know that you've spoken very fondly about some of those iconic restaurants that really sort of had panache and were bringing some of that sort of European sensibility as far as service and 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 and, and atmosphere. Uh, in, in 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 juarez you talked about the catacombs right the catacombs restaurant can we talk a little bit about some of those iconic places in juarez
3: well i think that victor can address that better than me and then yeah. i will talk to you about casa del sol i spent yeah. the most beautiful afternoon yesterday with two of the daughters of lisa stavillo going over the menu so it was so sophisticated from 1968. So, but why don't you give a little history?
4: Okay, sure. I I think the, what we have to understand about the Juarez restaurant scene is that it really reflects the the history, the political history, right? And so, what what kicks off the Juarez restaurant scene in the late Porfiriato is that it's a free trade zone, and so there's a lot of people doing business in the area, right? And you get uh, you get. Germans, you get uh, American merchants, French merchants in there. So like, it's really eclectic. Um, uh, it's also fueled by the arrival of the railroads. So like uh, when I was doing some research, I found that the hotels would publish their menus. And so when you look at the menus of the hotels, they're amazing. They're like, Chiles rellenos de, de anchoas. Chiles rellenos, de, you know, like the most creative. And it's telling you that there's now... Uh, tinned goods, uh, processed food arriving, and people are using them, right? They're still serving the same things that we're fixing during the colonial period, but they're adding new ingredients to them and making them much more eclectic. And then after, after the revolution, the arrival of many different groups from different parts of the country, um, uh, but also the arrival of Americans, especially bootleggers, and the creation of nightclub culture uh, during the prohibition, and bars and the arrival of of american food right so you begin to see these restaurants that serve uh turf and surf the, the 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 turf is coming from because of the railway from chicago and kansas city and the surf is coming because of the mexican railway that's bringing stuff up from sinaloa or veracruz right so you get this mixture of of cuisines because of of the kind of railway routes that are are there, right?
3: They didn't use the, the the cattle from the beef from the cattle in the area?
4: Of course they used the beef from the cattle in the area, but they cut it differently.
3: Yeah, that's what we're trying to find a a butcher who will who we interview
4: about that. Yeah I think somebody should should tell us about how Mexican butchers cut things differently. And when I traveled in Spain I noticed that they also cut things differently too. It's, there, we we have different cuts. <laughs> how
3: about how about if you tell them about Martino's or, or your your Thursday ritual with your mother when she went to get to the beauty
4: shop? Oh yeah, sure. Well, the other thing is you know with the politics is the arrival of Spaniards in the area during the the Civil War, and so um, lots of us would eat, uh, got lear- learned about Sp- Spanish food, um, and it was a it's some a uh, ritual. You know, a lot of working class people have. Menudo or gordito or or, or, um, or uh, chicharrones on the weekend, but you know, very middle class people also started eating uh, paella on weekends. It was like a ritual. Um, the other the other thing is also um, there's a lot of Chinese that arrived in the area, and so I was I was telling you that when I was a kid, my mother was was uh, a bit of a socialite, and and so her party started on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Um, and so she would go and get her nails done, get her hair done That was a whole ordeal all of Thursday, right? And so um, the maid wasn't there There wasn't anybody babysitting us So my dad would take us that day And that was the day that we went to the movies We went to the movies, we went to the candy store And we went and bought books Because, you know, as you can tell from behind me We kind of like books at my house <laughs> And so uh, after we were done, then we would go eat Chinese food
3: how
4: about the Sevillana? The, the, the. Oh, la Sevillana, I love la Sevillana. La Sevillana had two dining rooms. The dining room in the front, they served like tourist food and they served like American food, fast food. And then the back, they had a dining room and whoa, It was very different. Um, uh, first off, you sat down and they gave you uh, a drink. And for us kids, they would always give us uh, eye shavings with anise, anise del mono. And, you, and they would bring a little plate uh, that would have um, uh, uh, cloves. And you were, they taught me how to put the cloves between my mouth and my teeth and to suck the 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 anise uh, through uh, through that. It was quite the experience for a little kid, as you can imagine. Uh, but then, you know, you called ahead and you told them what you wanted. And so they would uh, fry up uh, chicken. I really liked the chicken. But they would make elaborate dishes. My father always loved uh, seafood. That was the luxury food in our house, yeah. seafood. So he always ordered um, uh, that uh, he always liked for them to make him um, bacalao. Yeah. So he would have bacalao and um, the bread was very crispy, was very buttery. And of course, the salads were fabulous. And they would always serve you uh, cheese also at, at the dessert. Right. Because, you know, Hispanic uh, cooking doesn't have very elaborate French style. But how
3: about Martinos? I mean, because we were talking our on that it was like an old fashioned restaurant and he trained all the waiters on, in the border in the Juarez. So wow. when you went to eat in a Juarez restaurant, the service was amazing and how mm-hmm. long did that, and that was still pretty popular until recently, no?
4: Yeah. With, with, uh, with, uh, the cloth on their, on their side, they would always carry it around. Mm. I mean, they knew how to serve a table. It was it was good. And in some places they they knew how to clean with um with the brush and y la pala. You know they would yeah. they would clean your crumbs away. Because in those restaurants they served wheat bread. They never served tortillas. Yeah. Talking
3: about the wheat bread, I don't remember when your dad used to go get us sweet bread from Juarez? Because yep. even though it's right across the border from El Paso, the bread that they, the sweet bread that they make in El Paso does not taste anything like the one made in Juarez. And yeah. I still yeah. remember the mirotes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's something to be said just culturally about living on the border. You mentioned our, uh, having a maid. I think people might scoff at that idea here in the States of well, we had a maid. No, but if you middle-class uh, Mexican-American in El Paso, chances are you had a maid or a cook that came in from Juarez every morning. And you dropped mm-hmm. you dropped her off at the border at the end of the workday, and that was something that was very common for families in El Paso to have. And well, I just think you, had a, you know, you what had I mean? a gardener also. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, you had a gardener. You had the maid. Uh, there was the maid that only did clothes. There was the maid. Hooked. And this yeah. is,
3: that reminds me uh-huh. of a joke, but I don't think I can tell it here.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what and, huh? and Everyone had also a seamstress that fixed dresses and yeah. things like that.
3: But the thing is that in Mexico,
4: even the maids have
2: maids. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. They have, yeah. they have like a little like a, a little uh, sort of posse that helps them out with, with everything and all things cooking and, and obviously maintaining the house. Um, but I think it's something it's, it's something to mention about how you grow up biculturally on the border and how it, ref, how it refers to food. And it forms opinions, especially with me, to be bicultural. You know, you speak. Great Spanish, you speak great English. You know, you have a foot in each culture. I think that's what makes being from El Paso and Juarez so special.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, and, and most of us also speak French.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, especially your mom's generation. Yeah. That they speak these. You guys were taught French, and then you went to finishing school
4: and all that kind of I stuff. I was right? taught
3: Latin, and that is mm-hmm. the best thing I ever took because my vocabulary is great.
4: Oh yeah, no doubt about it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners. Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code H-R-N. Learn more at Gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to jusaint ju.st/hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious, plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir fries, and french toast. There's also frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andreas calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appétit says it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st/hrn. You know I'll tell
4: you one thing that's really interesting people used to fight over the 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 ladies that came to help because that's how we were supposed to talk about it the ladies that came to help mm. uh, my my grandmother I had one grandmother that was more marxist and I was one the one that was more mar- uh, bourgeois <laughs> but the marxist <laughs> grandma the marxist grandma said son trabajadoras yeah. Yeah. I'll tell us that. you know they're ladies that came to help um, but they would fight over them because the, the ones that knew how to cook well or that knew how to serve the table well were rare and difficult to to obtain um, uh, their services. So uh, my great grandmother, um, uh, Doña Amelia, she used to always have the best cook. And what was really interesting is her she, she was half Spanish from Torreón. Um, and her, her, her—the ladies that cooked in her house were always people from the South. That's what we always said. una muchacha del sur, and they um, they served white rice, black beans, plantains. Mm. My father ran across that an old, old, old criollo front, frontier family, and he's like, "¿Qué es esto?
2: Mm.
4: <laughs> How do you eat this?" You know, right. And, and my that great grandmother was amazing. She was she was really something. Her she lost her husband when she was very young, but she brought up all her kids. She sent all her kids to to uh, college. You know, all mm. of my aunts are teachers, professionals, and so on. But she would take her daughters to Mexico City so they would, could sit for their examinations, mm. and and during the day she would go and eat. And so in my family, you know, we were middle class by Mexican standards. Uh, and and uh, my grandmother knew all the good restaurants in Mexico City. You know, to this day, people in the family say, when you go to Mexico City, you have to go eat the shrimp at this one place. La Nuvia. When in La El Paso, what do they say? If when
3: you go to El Paso, you have to go eat
4: what? Well, you know, it's different. When people go to El Paso, a lot of them are people that have left and gone to college somewhere else and they come back. And they want to go eat at the places that they went to eat when they were in high school. <laughs> yeah.
2: So
4: they want to there was so that horrible place that people like to go to. Um chicos those tacos. white tacos. I hate those damn things. Chicos tacos. Andale, chicos tacos. I um it's like it's like the 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 lady in the kitchen drop your tacos into your fideos, you know? Yeah. Um so I, I don't and then they put that horrible yellow cheese on top. I don't care for that. If you wanna give me tomatadas, give me tomatadas. Yeah así tacos aguados. Oh no, thank you.
3: Yeah. In El Paso, I think the best, thing, the, the, the thing that most is most well known for are the meats. And oh, I yeah. remember going driving forty miles or however long it was uh-huh. to the cattlemen. The cattlemen, yeah. And now they they have one called corralitos. And and you know when I was growing up, and uh, we spent a lot of time in El Paso, there were restaurants that were like of different of different. Uh, the backgrounds you know there was a and an, the italian kitchen and there was a lebanese restaurant called the this the sword and this and this and the and the, and the the sword something something and it was really wonderful lebanese food or syrian mm-hmm. food and you can and then later on came out of mm-hmm. which which is still really popular but mm-hmm. i don't remember like it well Uh, Apart from the Café Central, I don't think that there are any really kind of fancy restaurants in in El Paso right now. I I don't know, am I wrong?
4: No, I I think you're right, particularly the ones that the Mexicans would go to. I think when El Paso developed a middle class, a Mexican-American middle class, after their fathers came back from the armed forces, they went to college and they became businessmen, you know, people in the 50s and, and 70s, then they began to go to places that previously had been white only, had been Anglo spaces. And I think that's when Mexican-Americans learned to like uh, steak uh, and and things like- um, and They potato. definitely start eating spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti. Yep. Um, but um, I think that that um, uh, earlier, because um, you, you just mentioned Corralitos. Corralitos is a Juarez restaurant. After all of the insecurity started in Juarez, a lot of those people that had money closed things down and opened them in the El Paso side. My favorite seafood place in my childhood in Juarez was La Guaquilla. And, and now they're they're over in, in El Paso, right? Oh, really? Yeah. They also had Spanish restaurants that we really liked a lot, but now the, they, they didn't make a lot of money in El Paso, so they went back. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's kind of interesting, uh, the, the movement back and forth. Um, the the other interesting side of this is, you know, how did, you know, what is it that Mexican Americans in El Paso make for Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. because um, I I grew up in a in my dad's family was if you go back far enough, my dad's family is part Anglo. And 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 my during the revolution my my grandparents had to become Baptist because my grandfather was a politician and you couldn't get ahead being Catholic because the state was fighting the Catholic Church, right? So they became Baptists. So my grandma's party food was all Baptist cooking. Right? What? So it was like fried chicken, like show me a Mexican that doesn't like American fried chicken. Fried chicken and uh, uh, ham with pineapples. Um, deviled eggs or no? Deviled, deviled eggs, yes. But we also eat that at the Spanish restaurants yeah. too. They put that on top of uh, ensaladilla rusa. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other thing that they would make are uh, desserts, right? you know, a good apple pie, a a, a good. Um,
3: it's not typically Mexican the apple pie. Yeah, things
4: that are not typically Mexican, and so those are the things that we would eat over there, right? And so and they put on the full, the full Thanksgiving spread. Now, part of the story is also my grandfather's family during the Revolution. They ended up in Michigan, and so when they came back after the Revolution they worked at Ford Motor Company. After after they came back from the revolution, they were super agringados. And so for the holidays, you know, we would we would serve everything. Turkey, uh pumpkin pie, everything, all made from scratch. But the stuffing was Mexican stuffing. We, the same stuffing that you put inside uh uh chiles este. Yeah, the
3: no- en nogada.
4: Okay, well, let's <laughs>
3: let, let's not get too bogged down with that, but let's let's uh keep it more contemporary because sure. I because um I want people to relate. First of all, if they go to El Paso and if they go to Juarez, I mean it's I don't know what, what's happening in restaurants in Juarez. Mm-hmm. But but I know that the, the, the they're very good Chinese restaurants. You know, there was a Lawa and and Shangri Lab when I was growing mm-hmm. up and they well, you mentioned that relish they called Chile amor. That is jalapenos, uh-huh. unseeded, jalapenos, uh-huh. tomatoes, and and onions, and lime juice. You, uh-huh. you can't imagine how fantastic that was. But that brings wow, you so to this question of a uh, Casa del Sol. This was this <laughs> restaurant that was magical. I mean, it, they opened at the end of the '60s, and it was opened by this man named Luis Stavillo. And I spent the whole afternoon yesterday talking to his two, two of his daughters. He has a bunch of them. And, uh, and he had this restaurant that was successful until, the ni- until 9-11 made him close because you know, people were not, could not cross the border. But in his heyday, when I was a teenager and, and, and then got married, pe- it was full of people, ladies who used to come from El Paso to have lunch there. And they would eat like a, a which is that grilled meat that they serve with an enchilada and beans. Or or combination plate. The combination plate is very big in El Paso still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then the Mexicans. And up, the
4: the uh, comida corrida.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But also also they had, he had brought this chef from Acapulco called Federico Ramirez, oh. and, and he had this um, all this amazing menu. You know, with with uh, yesterday they were telling me something like it was like this filet with. Uh, fish fillet with artichokes and and uh, lemon juice and butter and, you know, very sophisticated food. And and uh, and this was like in the 60s.
4: Mm-hmm. There was a lot more money in the 60s. Yeah. yeah. It was a much smaller town in the 60s. Um, it, was a, it was a very close world.
2: And you think about is this correct that the first Hilton, Conrad Hilton, opened in El Paso, right? When he mm-hmm. was with Elizabeth Taylor. So there's this, there's you know, and then you look at Cafe Central, which is sort of considered the best restaurant in El Paso for many, many years, and they still have that dish on the menu, uh, the filet with the the Chile Verde that's very famous, uh, that's still on that menu. So yeah, I I think there was a big push to make El Paso very cosmopolitan, like so many parts during the Porfirio Diaz era, all over Mexico. No, correct, uh,
4: Victor? Well, um. Not so much in Paso but Ciudad Juarez, I think yes, Ciudad Juarez, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that I think that what we're what places like Cafe Central are really interesting because today I think the name remains and the allure remains. But you know, it was a Mexican-American owned chain. There were four of them. Uh, in the 40s through the 80s. It was the last one closed. Um and uh, when when I remember the Café Central when I was a kid, it used to be one of the four. But it was a place that sold Chinese chop suey. It was a, it was oh, a chop wow, suey palace. That. Yeah. My mom used to make it. It was in downtown Juarez that for el, el cafe. We used to call it cafe central or el cafe de los chinos. And <laughs> yeah. and it was it was a chop suey. And um, the other thing that we're w- well known for uh, was um, coconut custard pie. <laughs> yeah but um you know the other the other thing i wanted to mention is one really cool really interesting place for for foodies even today um if you think about the anglos that have made a nice chunk of change from selling mexican food to other parts of the country you know people like uh what is his name clark kerr i think is one yeah Yeah, uh uh-huh um They get their inspiration from going to the old market, the old food markets. There was the Mercado Hidalgo and the Mercado Cuauhtemoc, and both of them had food stalls. And they had fabulous ingredients. You know, the the best cheese, there. The best handmade tortillas, there. The best
3: nopalitos.
4: The best nopalitos. In fact, the only place where they fix nopalitos for you, there. Right? Pipian, Mm -hmm. they would make pipian there. You would take it home and make it, right? So um, they even sold live fowl. You could you could go and buy yeah. the turkey and have them kill it and take it home for you, right? Um, so so that market is amazing. But also it's it was it catered to all tastes, right? So I re, I re, that was a place where, for example, um, uh, tortas made from turkey uh, tails were first made.
3: Oh, I don't know those.
4: Yeah, they're you know what the English call parson's nose, right? Um uh, <laughs> some tortas son tortas de, 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 de colita de pavo with, with avocado and tomatoes you know the usual torta Well
3: you, you know when the, when the when the kids were little they used, we used to go every Saturday to Juárez when I was still married and and the kids would get you know like their haircut or whatever and there used to be a guy there selling tortas de aguacate
4: Oh those were the best. Those <laughs> I were love the best. Those.
3: and we and do you remember them honey?
2: Yes mom I remember because we would go there and get all of our sort of our shopping needs done in Juarez on Saturdays. And I remember him being very excited to do that. And and I remember he he would take us to uh, a particular barber named Sadis, I think. And he would say, if you don't move, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to cut your ear off if you keep moving. And we were like so (laughs) scared to go to to Senor Sadis to cut our hair. But my dad, my dad relished in that.
3: I, I, when you mentioned the barber i remember my dad uh, my dad who uh, they would go to he would go to the barber and they would ask him and how would you like your hair done mr martinez in perfect silence
4: <laughs> exactly <laughs> well i used i used to go with my grandfather to the barber every friday because my my grandfather would look good for the his club he used to go to the club on fridays so i you know it was very old school uh the the barbers in Juarez, you know, with the, the they had a, an old fashioned uh, percolator with the hot water for the shaving. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk a little
4: bit about the club
2: culture, because, you know, you think about places like, you know, Cuban-Americans, they have that yacht culture that was very part of, you know, uh, the Batista era before everything. So let's talk a little bit about those clubs and these social places that the, the elite or middle class people of Juarez and El Paso would go to and frequent
4: well they were they were very exclusive the the old see that the issue with old el paso families is um they were fighting a losing battle <laughs> because there was a lot of money coming into the city and they wanted to maintain their status right so they the, uh, and a lot of them were did not want anything to do with money related to bars or money related to prostitution which were places that the city made a lot of money because there were 20,000 Anglo teenagers at, at the fort, right? Yeah. So so nightclubs, bars, all of that stuff. So people were very keen on, on maintaining those worlds separate. And so, so there was a social club for women. It was called El, El Club del Botón Rojo. I know.
3: I made my debut with them.
4: Oh, you, you were one of the debutantes. Yes, oh, I, I, wow. I have all,
3: all the pictures of my debut. And, and, so and you're you an to, old you,
4: El Paso aristocrat then. Yeah, so that,
3: so my grandmother <laughs> grandmother had to be long in order to do your debut. Yeah,
4: there. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it was, it, they used to do a lot of uh, social work also. They used to do, um, they worked with the uh, St. Vincent de Paul groups. and So they did, they supported the Ciudad del Niño. They, I mean, they, they did a lot to help with this rapid growth of the city.
3: Yeah, you know who who else did, made the debut at that time? Uh, Beto, or mom. Oh, She, she, I
4: didn't she know and that. I
3: were, went to the same school, uh, Dovero.
4: Oh, I didn't know. I didn't ben know Lisa that. Yeah, it, it was a very small uh, world. That um, my my mother went to the Latino Americano, the Teresiano in Juarez. Yeah, it was different. And but uh, the the other the other places uh, were that were very very middle class. were, for example, the bullfighting in uh, group Taurino. um and uh, there were also uh very lower middle class groups like the uh, um, the 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 uh, what was it called and el, el club de los cantineros so mm-hmm. all the people that worked as waiters and in the bars you know they had their social club as well um uh, so so there there were a lot of, of clubs where that organized, dances where people would meet because they were keen on on meeting people like themselves they were mm-hmm. trying to make sure that they were meeting people that were like them
3: well you know were, every yeah. saturday and sunday they used to have a tardeada, a tea dance yeah? mm-hmm. and they would bring the orchestra from chihuahua oh, and yeah. and we would all get dressed up i mean every every weekend and then the 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 uncles and some of the parents would go and be the chaperones Mm-hmm. You know, there was this guy, Raul Soto, who, who was just really sexy, sexy, sexy. And I would say, sit there, please let me pick you out. Please let him take me out to dance. Please let me. And finally, he would t- take me out to dance, and then I would grow mute. You know, but it, it was torture.
4: Oh, and do you remember what kind of food they used to serve, Sarila? No, exactly. No. But you remember the pretty guy that you were looking at. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but just, I mean, not too long ago, I mean, we're talking about 10 years ago when, when, when my prima Bella, she had her debut in Juarez, remember mom? And we went, and I think that was one of those special moments that I I, I, I really remember. The idea of the Chamberlain, you know, we all rented out that beautiful club in, in, in Juarez where we were all at, and just seeing all the, all the, the, the tios and, and the elders. There drinking and Kali was there, and all of our fa- extended family in Mexico were there, and I just I, I remember that so vividly, Mom.
3: It and you, know, you were always fighting for service, and your Uncle Rooney would cut a hundred dollar bill in half, and would give half to the to the waiter and say, "If you take care of me, I'll give you the other half."
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i have already remember for those parties uh, the hosts always put a, a a good bottle of or two bottles of one of whiskey and one of brandy on the tables. That was usually the custom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you didn't have to pay the waiter. <laughs> no, no. Exactly.
3: And, and they had wonderful caterers, you know, to oh. to, to serve the food at, at these places because the, the Campestre and you know the, the social clubs basically had like a stand where they would sell, you know, hamburgers or whatever it was at, at the but they had they had this caterer named Chonito.
4: Well, we've talked about Juanito. Tell me more about Juanito.
3: My famous rice is his famous rice.
4: Uh
3: huh. So I learned to make that when I was like fifteen. It's my creamy rice casserole, and Uh he he used to do all sorts of. That's the one thing that I remember. But they always made it was always like a chicken breast and 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 probably some meat. I don't I don't think that we ate a lot of fish then, except except at Wyatt's cafeteria.
4: The other thing that they would serve at those parties, very that I remember very clearly, were the the beef salad, the salpicón. Yes. They would also make tongue sandwiches. Yeah. lengua. Yep. Yeah, but it was like a spread. It was a spread of sa- of a uh, tongue with uh, with uh, pickles and uh, chilies, uh, also pickled on top. Yeah, like deviled ham. And like like deviled ham, but it was tongue and they would wrap them it was a big pile it would be a big silver uh platter and it was a gigantic platter of these damn things it was a, a bigger than a turkey <laughs> and they were all individually wrapped in um in uh paper napkins to keep the breath yeah from yeah out. i remember um but a lot of the stars also came to the cabarets and performed in juarez Tonya la negra performed there um uh, people like uh, like Maria Felix, I don't think, would come there. Wow. But all of all of the uh, tropical dancers and uh, performers, um, well, they were called cabareteras. They, they would perform. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, there was a so beautiful
3: movie about
4: that. Yeah, that movie. That was shot in Juarez. The, yeah. Of
3: the four cabareteras?
4: Yeah. The, bellas, the, like, bellas, de,
3: bellas de Noche.
4: No, not that one, but that is one of those movies. There was a movie about a woman from a fancy family in Guadalajara that had to dance in a club to make money, and the implication was she was prostituting herself, and 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 she had to go do it in a place where nobody would recognize. And of course, she came to Juarez because it's a, a city of sin. Everybody thought it was a city of sin because of all the all the all the nightclub uh, and stuff like that. Mm. But anyway, yeah, Juarez Juarez is a, a a very special place for me in my mind, and I. I wish that I could do more more work and more research and uh, record. I'm, I'm realizing that uh, our foodways are changing and many of our family traditions are, are being lost. And, yeah. um, and it's important to save them, I think. Yeah.
2: Well, you're doing such valuable work, Victor. And can, can you please share with our listeners how they can engage with you and keep up with all of your research and all of your wonderful work, because you really truly are a resource and and this unbelievable uh, representation representative of of border culture and where we're from. So, can you share with our listeners how to how to get in touch with you with an email or something?
4: Your website? Well, you can if if you would like to uh, get in contact with me. The easiest thing is to just Google my name, mm-hmm. and you will find uh, Victor Macias Gonzalez, and you will find my my uh my uh university webpage, great and you will find my email there but my email is very long so i won't give it to you <laughs> yeah it's d macias gonzalez at uwlax.edu gotcha. um yeah but um i right now i'm working on on a, a book about gay culture in mexico and i'll have to share this real quick yeah when i was a, a kid in the 70s um my grandfather invest, invested in a restaurant and he bought a restaurant and my mom was kind of told here go go get your pin money go make money off of this thing and it was a restaurant and all wow. of the employees were gay men it, this was this was a restaurant on um on uh Mina. Uh, uh and was, and, you, was, um, your, was
3: your grandfather
4: gay? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I don't know how he bought it or or why it was, but it turned out that this was the most mm-hmm. important gay uh workplace in Quarez. And I, yeah, and what they were very famous for was for making gigantic uh Sonora style flower tortillas because wow. you have to use a lot of strength uh, well, I,
3: do- I remember that at the ranch you know we had the somebody who made them and she had really fat arms and mm-hmm. then she would would
4: she stretch them this way
3: yeah and so she would make yeah and then she would tr- turn them from one hand to the other like that but these were gigantic they were like 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 the sonora tortillas almost
4: yeah these were gigantic tortillas and they would put Two chile rellenos. And we yeah. you know the usual, it's a little smear of beans and your chila rellenos so and you roll it up. And there's never a sauce, there's never a goop on it. They're nice, dry, they're easy to eat. You know, it's food that you can eat on your way to work or, or at work, right? Yeah, exactly. But I just
2: wanted to thank
4: you, Victor, profusely for your time, for
2: all your insight, for your unbelievable uh, research that you continue to do. And, and you, you, you give us a lot of pride Uh, you know, as a proud El Pasoan and Mexican American to see what you're doing and preserving our our culture and the way that you do in a distant land like Wisconsin. um, I I, I applaud you uh, so much for that. I know my mom and I are extremely ecstatic to have you here. I think we can have a whole other conversation just based on El Paso food and 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 on all these little subsection restaurants and and in the walls. And I think we'll, we'll we'll definitely revisit that at some time. But um, we thank you so much. And um, I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. We've been talking about cross crossing border cultures, talking about the food, how it relates to uh, this very specific part of, of 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 America and Mexico. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, this unbelievable conversation with Victor. Uh, Please look him up. He's an unbelievable resource and just such a great representative of of the border. Um, And we really appreciate all you guys listening to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z on Heritage Radio Network. Muchísimas gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.
5: (laughs) Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast.
3: Entraña.